Victor Hugo on the Execution of John Brown In doing some research into Bug Jargal, a story set in the slave revolt of San Domingo, I came upon a letter to the editor of the London News written by Hugo when John Brown, of the famous raid on Harper's Ferry, was awaiting execution. Its message, that to hang John Brown would be an infamy from which the United States could never recover, is deeply stirring, and it allows us to see the humanity that characterizes all of Hugo's works as it manifests in his real-world activism. I had to share it with you. John Brown was an abolitionist who became a leader of armed rebellions to secure the freedom of enslaved blacks in America. The most famous of these efforts, and the one that cost him his life, was his raid on the Federal Armory at Harper's Ferry in 1859. According to an NPR Weekend Edition interview, quote, he hoped his raid would spark a conflagration that would be the end of slavery. He didn't just want to free the slaves of Harper's Ferry. He wanted to shock the nation, unquote. The night of the raid, Brown and 20 other men, including two of his sons and five freed slaves, captured the guard on the bridge to Harper's Ferry and took the town by surprise, gaining control over it and its 100,000 guns. But 32 hours later, Brown and his men were trapped in an engine house, surrounded by a mob and a group of Marines led by Robert E. Lee. Brown and his men decided to make themselves martyrs to their cause, and they refused to surrender. Many of the men, including Brown's sons, were killed. Brown was arrested, tried, found guilty of treason against the Commonwealth of Virginia, and sentenced to execution by hanging. On December 2, 1859, the London News published Hugo's passionate plea that the federal government overturn the order of execution. He did not know that Brown would be hanged that very day. Here is Hugo's letter. To the Editor of the London News Sir, when our thoughts dwell upon the United States of America, a majestic form rises before the eye of imagination. It is a Washington. Look, then, to what is taking place in that country of Washington at this present moment. In the southern states of the Union, there are slaves, and this circumstance is regarded with indignation as the most monstrous of inconsistencies by the pure and logical conscience of the northern states. A white man, a free man, John Brown, sought to deliver these Negro slaves from bondage. Assuredly, if insurrection is ever a sacred duty, it must be when it is directed against slavery. John Brown endeavored to commence the work of emancipation by the liberation of slaves in Virginia. Pious, austere, animated with the old Puritan spirit, inspired by the spirit of the gospel, he sounded to these men, these oppressed brothers, the rallying cry of freedom. The slaves, enervated by servitude, made no response to the appeal. Slavery afflicts the soul with weakness. Brown, though deserted, still fought at the head of a handful of heroic men. He was riddled with balls. His two young sons, sacred martyrs, fell dead at his side, 
and he himself was taken. This is what they call the affair at Harper's Ferry. John Brown has been tried with four of his comrades, Stevens, Coppock, Gree, and Copeland. What has been the character of his trial? Let us sum it up in a few words. John Brown, upon a wretched pallet, with six half-gaping wounds, a gunshot wound in his arm, another in his loins, and two in his head, scarcely conscious of surrounding sounds, bathing his mattress in blood, and with the ghastly presence of his two dead sons ever beside him. His four fellow sufferers wounded, dragging themselves along by his side. Stevens bleeding from saber wounds. Justice in a hurry, and overleaping all obstacles. An attorney, Hunter, who wishes to proceed hastily, and a judge, Parker, who suffers him to have his way. The hearing cut short, almost every application for delay refused, forged and mutilated documents produced, the witnesses for the defense kidnapped, every obstacle thrown in the way of the prisoner's counsel, two cannon loaded with canister stationed in the court, orders given to the jailers to shoot the prisoners if they sought to escape, 40 minutes of deliberation, and three men sentenced to die. I declare on my honor that all this took place not in Turkey, but in America. Such things cannot be done with impunity in the face of the civilized world. The universal conscience of humanity is an ever-watchful eye. Let the judges of Charleston and Hunter and Parker and the slaveholding jurors and the whole population of Virginia ponder it well. They are watched. They are not alone in the world. At this moment, America attracts the eyes of the whole of Europe. John Brown, condemned to die, was to have been hanged on the 2nd of December, this very day. But news has just reached us. A respite has been granted to him. It is not until the 16th that he is to die. The interval is a brief one. Before it has ended, will a cry of mercy have had time to make itself effectually heard? No matter. It is our duty to speak out. Perhaps a second respite may be granted. America is a noble nation. The impulse of humanity springs quickly into life among a free people. We may yet hope that Brown will be saved. If it were otherwise, if Brown should die on the scaffold on the 16th of December, what a terrible calamity. The executioner of Brown, let us avow it openly, for the day of the kings is past and the day of the people's dawns, and to the people we are bound frankly to speak the truth. The executioner of Brown would be neither the attorney Hunter, nor the judge Parker, nor the governor Wise, nor the state of Virginia. It would be, though we can scarce think or speak of it without a shudder, the whole American Republic. The more one loves, the more one admires, the more one venerates that republic, the more heartsick one feels at the contemplation of such a catastrophe. A single state ought not to have the power to dishonor all the rest, and in this case there is an obvious justification for a federal intervention. 
Otherwise, by hesitating to interfere when it might prevent a crime, the Union becomes a participator in its guilt. No matter how intense may be the indignation of the generous northern states, the southern states force them to share the opprobrium of this murder. All of us, no matter who we may be, who are bound together as compatriots by the common tie of a democratic creed, feel ourselves in some measure compromised. If the scaffold should be erected on the 16th of December, the incorruptible voice of history would thenceforward testify that the August Confederation of the New World had added to all its rights of holy brotherhood a brotherhood of blood. And the fasces of that splendid republic would be bound together with the running noose that hung from the gibbet of Brown. This is a bond that kills. When we reflect on what Brown, the liberator, the champion of Christ, has striven to effect, and when we remember that he is about to die, slaughtered by the American Republic, that crime assumes an importance coextensive with that of the nation which commits it. And when we say to ourselves that this nation is one of the glories of the human race, that, like France, like England, like Germany, she is one of the great agents of civilization, that she sometimes even leaves Europe in the rear by the sublime audacity of some of her progressive movements, that she is the queen of an entire world, and that her brow is irradiated with a glorious halo of freedom, we declare our conviction that John Brown will not die. For we recoil horror-struck from the idea of so great a crime committed by so great a people. Viewed in a political light, the murder of Brown would be an irreparable fault. It would penetrate the Union with a gaping fissure, which would lead in the end to its entire disruption. It is possible that the execution of Brown might establish slavery on a firm basis in Virginia, but it is certain that it would shake to its center the entire fabric of American democracy. You preserve your infamy, but you sacrifice your glory. Viewed in a moral light, it seems to me that a portion of the enlightenment of humanity would be eclipsed, that even the ideas of justice and injustice would be obscured on the day which should witness the assassination of emancipation by liberty. As for myself, though I am but a mere atom, yet being as I am in common with all other men, inspired with the conscience of humanity, I fall on my knees, weeping before the great starry banner of the new world, and with clasped hands, and with profound and filial respect, I implore the illustrious American Republic, sister of the French Republic, to see the safety of the universal moral law, to save John Brown, to demolish the threatening scaffold of the 16th of December, and not to suffer that beneath its eyes, and I add, with a shudder, almost by its fault, a crime should be perpetrated surpassing the first fratricide in iniquity. For, yes, let America know it and ponder on it well. There is something more terrible than Cain slaying Abel. It is Washington slaying Spartacus.
Victor Hugo, Hauteville House, December 2nd, 1859. According to biographer Graham Robb, this letter made Hugo a hero in the Republic of Haiti. The editor of a paper there wrote to thank him in the name of the black race. Many historians contest the accuracy of Hugo's image of Brown as a martyr, hero, and soldier of Christ. But, Rob says, his view of the symbolic truth is unquestionably accurate. In the Facebook group for Bagjargal, I will include two moving images to accompany this story. The first is a painting by American artist Thomas Hovenden called The Last Moments of John Brown. The second is a pen and ink drawing of The Hanging of John Brown by Victor Hugo. I saw the original at a Hammer Museum exhibit in 2018, and even with no context for it, I had chills when I saw it. I wish I'd known then what I know now.